Welcome to the Mindset for Runners podcast, helping you to access and unlock your true potential as an athlete. Hey, it's Rob here, and welcome to this episode on habits, how to build them and how to make them stick. This episode is a reply to a message that I received um, from one of you saying, hey, how about you can do a podcast for us on habits so we can start to build better habits that will support our running or our health or, or our life in general. So thanks for that. And um, let's get into it. Um, we're going to start, I'll start by breaking down what I'm going to go through in this episode. I'm going to go through the theory and the background of habits. I think it's really important to know what a habit is and and how they're actually formed before we go into the strategy of how. Uh, so forgive me that I'm going to go into a little bit of depth in this, but it's really helped me to understand them and hopefully you'll do the same. Because ultimately what I want for you from this episode is to be able to build a new habit that you want, whether it's around your running or your training or your health or your work habits or your um, parenting habits or your your relationship habits or your financial habits. I want you to be able to take the information that I'll give you today and go and build at least one new habit and start to really make that a part of your life. So let's get stuck into it. We'll do the theory first, and then we'll look at how you build the habits, and then we'll look at how you make them stick. And at the end of the episode, we're actually going to use the example of building a new, like a running habit, and we're going to put everything we've learned together and really solidify and build that habit so that it sticks and it becomes a part of our day by using everything that we learn in the episode. All right, so starting with the theory. We're going to start with the work of Professor Andrew Huberman, who's got an excellent podcast called The Huberman Lab. And um, he's a professor at Stanford of um, ophthalmology and neurobiology. Uh, He definitely knows what he's talking about when it comes to forming habits. So Dr. Huberman starts by saying that up to 70% of our behavior is habitual. Now, cross-referencing this with you know, the author of Atomic Habits, James Clear, and the author of um, The Power of Habit, was Charles Duhigg, they both say it's about 40%. But if we can kind of like have a compromise somewhere between 40% and 70% of our behavior that we go through our normal day-to-day life is, is actually habit-based or habitual. And the reason for this is the brain loves habits because they use less energy to perform. Habits are stored in the bottom of our brain, in the oldest part, in a technical term is the basal ganglia, and you can listen to Huberman's podcast on habits to get even more depth on this. But basically, what I want you to take away from this is the bottom part of your brain is is really the survival, just keeping you safe, make sure you keep alive and you don't die. That's basically what the bottom part of your brain is. But to do that, it wants to use as less energy as it can to do the normal day-to-day stuff so that it has a stored availability of energy to use just in case it needs to. So once you form a habit, it's locked away in the the hindbrain, in in this part of the hindbrain down down the bottom of your brainstem. And just a quick one, remember, the top of the brainstem is the most recent, the prefrontal cortex, our thinking cap, our thinking brain. The midbrain is really about imagery and um, pattern ma- matching and, and memory and all that kind of stuff. And the bottom brain, the hind brain, the lizard reptilian brain, where habits are stored, is all about the survival mechanisms and, and parasympathetic response, sympathetic response, fight, flight, freeze, all that kind of stuff. So habits use less energy for the brain. That's why it loves it. And that's where it's stored at the bottom. 
what are habits? Well, what they are is really the neural system learning something new. And when the neural system or, or the neurology is learning something new, it goes to that place that a term you've probably heard, which is neuroplasticity, which is really just the ability for our brains to change. And they change to adapt to something that they, they want to adapt to or needs to adapt to. So neuroplasticity, um, I was thinking of a best way to describe this. So imagine when we're doing our new habit, the neural network changing in your brain is kind of like a bulldozer making a new road through a deep bushland area. So imagine if simply the um, bulldozer has to make a road from point A to point B uh, through a thick bush. Now that is, is imagining, imagining the, the um, analogy of the bulldozer pushing the trees across as building this new neural network that goes to form your habit from the start of the habit to the finish of the habit. So imagine the first time the bulldozer goes in the bush, it's going to have to push over the trees and it's going to have to you know, work really hard to knock down trees and, and move rocks. Just to, It might even only just get a few metres in, in in the first hour and then it eventually carves it further and further and further. Imagine as the day goes on, it, it might have made a path all the way through the bush from part A to part B. But really, it's going to be a rough, rocky track that would be really hard to go down. So then the next day you send the bulldozer down there again and it smooths it out a little bit more. It's still a bit of a rough ride, but by the end of the second day, the, the, the road is actually a bit more formed, even though it's still you know sandy and rocky. The next day, it smooths it out. Then the next day, it smooths it out again. The next day, you might start to bring in um, a roller, like a big roller, and, and roll it flat. The next day, you might bring in some um, road material and start to com- compact it flat. And sooner or later, you can imagine the bitumen goes down, the white lines go down, and it becomes this easier road to travel. Eventually, if you keep the analogy going, you can widen the road and you can turn it into a highway where you can do 110 kilometers an hour along. That's kind of like what a habit formation is in your brain. That bulldozer starts... It's hard, you have to overcome this friction, but eventually, as you go on and on and on, it becomes smoother and easier and almost on autopilot, where eventually you can drive down it without even thinking while you're having a cup of coffee and chatting on the phone in the car. So that's kind of what neuroplasticity is when when we're talking about habit formation. <clears throat> Back to Huberman. Uh, Dr. Huberman says, and this is backed up by James Clear in Atomic Habits, one of the biggest selling books in the last five years, that goals, sorry, habits turn into pretty much two different types. There's goal-based habits, which could be something like, I'm going to run for 20 minutes a day, three times a week, right? It's a specified goal. Or identity habits. So it could be, I am a runner, or it could be something even more descriptive. I am a fit and healthy mother, for example, or I'm an inspiring leader. And that identity-based habit the I am statement is a much stronger habit to form and a much better way to form your habits than the goal-based one. Forgive me if you can. I can actually notice I'm a little bit short of breath. I do have COVID at the moment, so um, I'm making the most of my time uh, off to actually do these podcasts. So if I do sound a little bit puffy, it's because I'm, I'm a bit short of breath. Okay, so how long does it take a form to form a habit? Now, Huberman doesn't just you know, say random things off his head. He goes into deep research. So he's gone in and looked in normally between 
18 to 30 days. But to back up this research, he cites a 2010 study which, which found it took between 18 to 254 days, depending on the individual, to form a habit. Now, the study was health-related. It was quite a cool study. They took a group of people and they all they did was they got them to form a habit of going for a walk after they ate their dinner. And they studied the subjects and it took them between 18 to 254 days to form this habit. Now, how do they measure it? Well, they measured it when the subjects did it 85% of the time. That's what they considered a habit. Note, they didn't say 100% of the time, which is interesting because we're going to go later on into um, what stops us from um, actually forming habits and where the sabotaging effect comes in. So if they did it 85% of the time, the, the um, examiners, the studiers said that's, that habit is formed. So why did some take 18 days and why take others take 250 well, again, Huberman comes up with a term he invented himself called limbic friction. Now, the limbic brain is that hind brain that we talked about before, where the habits are actually formed. And he's, he calls this term limbic friction is basically the strain that's required to overcome one of two states formed in the limbic system or the hind lizard brain. First state is anxiety. You're too alert. You're too aroused and you can't calm down enough to do the habit. For example, if you wanted to start a meditation habit, but at the time the time that you pick to do the meditation habit, you've got too much going on, your brain's too alert, or you're too anxious, you're too wired, it's going to take a lot of limbic friction to overcome, to be able to calm yourself down and actually sit still and do your meditation. Now, conversely, if you go to the other state, which is tiredness or laziness or unmotivated, you can imagine how much limbic friction you're going to have to take to use to get over the, oh, come on, just let's get up and go for that walk after dinner, for example, and then one we used. And that's what they found in this study. They sat down for dinner. Person one said, oh, that's right. After dinner, I'm going to go for a walk. So they jump up and they go for a walk and they do it. Right? No limbic friction there. They weren't too anxious or they weren't too tired or lazy. But person two was eating dinner and saying, oh, I know I've got to go for a walk after dinner. I just feel too tired. I just don't feel like it. I just, you know, I've got too many things to do. And there's a limbic friction. They couldn't overcome it and they didn't do it. And they're the ones that took, you know, up to those 254 days. So I'm kind of hoping you get a bit of an example, a bit of an understanding of of where the habits are formed and how um, Huberman came to say between these 18 and 254 days. There's so much independent um, dependence on each, on each type of person. What he says, though, is our goal when forming habits is to make it automatic in your neural system. And there's a term they use a lot in pop psychology, which is called the more it's fired, the harder it's wired. <clears throat> You may have heard that. Go back to our road analogy. The more that bulldozer drives down that new track, the easier it is it's going to be to, to travel the road. Um, and so this, when, your neurology, when your neurons are lining up with their electrical impulse and the, then, the, then the chemical across the, across the synaptic gap and then electrical down the line, the, the chemical across the synaptic gap, all that, it's just the more you fire that habit, the harder it's wide and the easier it is. To understand this at a deeper level, we have to go to the work of Daniel Coyle in a brilliant book called The Talent Code. Now, if just to summarize that book in one short um, 
kind of minute here. Daniel Coyle talks about myelination. Now, myelin, you may have heard of the term myelin. It's like, it's if you think of that neuron, which is a brain, like, like again, our habits formation down that road in our brain, well, the myelin is a thing that insulates um, the electrical current, the electrical road that it's going down in your brain. So think about an extension lead or a power lead, a power cord. The myelin is like the plastic that goes around it to insulate the electrical uh, copper cable to allow it to flow down the, the line. And the more it's fired, as in the more times you use that habit, the more times you drive down that new road, well, the bigger the copper can get and the thicker that the myelin can get. And the myelin is the most important thing in the neuron because it keeps it insulated. And the more insulation you have, the faster the electrical impulse can travel down the line. Now, interestingly enough, in multiple sclerosis, it's the degeneration of the myelin that causes um, the disruption to the nervous system and, and, those, and the movements, the lack of ability to move the, the motor neurons. <clears throat> Forgive me for my basic... Uh, understanding of this but that myelination when it starts to degrade you can see how the neurons don't fire um, as as efficiently as they do when they're myelinated so basically daniel coyle in his book is 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 trying to get people to understand the more you do the habit the more you do it with that perfect practice and 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 uh, perfectly executed the same 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 the myelin the myelin in the brain is wired and the um the neural network becomes more hardwired and to to think about this practically think about the habits you don't have to think about anymore that you do like brushing your teeth is always a good example or brushing your hair right it's pretty much the same pattern of brushing you do every time you brush your teeth it probably doesn't change that's because it's it's a really hardwired habit that myelin over that brushing over the teeth neural network is is so hardwired that to even try and change your brushing pattern would be kind of extremely difficult and just to, to highlight this try brushing your teeth with your opposite hand and you'll get an understanding of how how um, hardwired it is <clears throat> right so back to Huberman's work the next stage we need to understand about dopamine which is a neurotransmitter of motivation and drive so he, he, he says when we're forming habits we have to understand how dopamine affects what we actually are drawn to do or not do. So, pressing on from there, Huberman um, reads from a paper called The Psychology of Habit from a publication uh, called The Annual Review of Psychology. And in that, they talk about the importance of visualizing your habits in order to make them stick. Um, so they use a, there's a, if you break memory into two different types. There's procedural memory, which is basically um, the sequence of steps you want to, remember to to have for a specific outcome to occur. So procedural memory could be um, to bake this cake, I need to do uh, put the eggs in, put the flour in, um, sift it probably before you put your eggs in. But there's a specific step, I'm not very good at baking cakes, to, um, to make your cake the outcome that you want. That's procedural if you visualize that in your mind. But in episodic memory, it's, it's, it's just the recalling of a particular set of events. For example, I went to my brother's house for um, a barbecue and these people were all sitting on the table and then we all had dinner. Then we went for um, a walk and then we came back and we played a board game together and we all went home. 
So that's episodic memory where you're remembering things. But procedural is the type of memory that we need to use for forming habits. And the purpose of this is when you can use your procedural memory to visualize the set of steps that you want the new habit to have, well, that's when it's going to stick. And in this study, they found that even just visualizing the new habit once allowed this procedural memory to get a complete picture of the start or the cue of the habit to the end, which is the reward of the habit. And then your mind gets to see it in its entirety and that made a huge difference in the subjects, um, whether the habit actually stuck or not. So from procedural memory, we need to understand another, another thing that Huberman lays out. And all this will come into, um, like, the, all this theory will come into practice for you later on when we put, we put these habits into practice. But he talks about should we reward ourselves for doing the new habits? You might hear out there, you know, about do we reward ourselves or not? Now, he says we have to understand a thing called reward prediction error, which is fascinating, but, but you'll also understand it as soon as I explain it. So basically, reward prediction error says when you have anticipation, it sets off a dopamine hit in your brain. So think about, think about if there's two types of people in the world, people who like surprise birthday parties and those that want the anticipation of the birthday party. So think about which one you might fall into. So some people don't want to know and they just want to have the big surprise. They walk into to the house and all their friends and family jump out from behind the furniture and say, surprise, they had no idea it was coming. They get this massive dopamine hit of surprise and wow, all these people and they just got like a huge flooding in the system. Now, the anticipation person who says, I don't what I really want, I do like that, but I also like the anticipation. So if you tell me that you're going to have a birthday party for me two weeks in advance, I can enjoy the anticipation for the two weeks. And then I also, when everyone turns up, I'll also get a dopamine hit, right? It's not as big as the massive surprise, but the anticipation is enjoyable in itself because you're looking forward to it. So that reward prediction error says the anticipation sets off a dopamine hit and if the reward comes, you get another hit, right? But if we expect a reward and it doesn't come, we have a dopamine hit saying, oh, this reward is going to come, but it doesn't happen. Your dopamine level drops below where you went, where you were before. So for example, um, you tell your kids, you're going to take them for ice cream and they're like, yay. So you, you know, jumped in the car, you walk down the street and you get to the ice cream shop and they're so excited they're looking for the ice cream and the ice cream shop's closed. Their dopamine levels is going to drop lower than before you told them we were going to have ice cream. Conversely, if you tell them you're taking them for, I don't know, a COVID PCR test and you put them in the car and they're like, oh, dad, what do we have to have a COVID PCR test? And then you go to the ice cream shop and buy them ice cream and say, ha ha, only joking, they're going to have a massive dopamine hit because they were already on a downward spike thinking that they were going to go to get a COVID test. So why is this important? Because when we get into James Clear's work with, with, his, with his four levels of habit formation, we're going to understand that the cue of the habit or the, the trigger, if you like, is where you're going to get a, a little dopamine hit and then the reward at the end, the completion of the habit, you're going to get another dopamine hit. And the visualization that Huberman talks about 
is also important in bringing the dopamine into the system. Remember, dopamine is the, the neurotransmitter of the molecule of more, the motivation. I'm going to do this again. I want this again. It's like, you know, that, that, that's, that's what we're looking for in um, the habit formation. All right, so let's just quickly take, take you through Huberman's kind of overarching system. I'm going to start a new habit. I want to positively anticipate the onset of the habit, so the start of it, and the offset. This is his words, not mine. So I want to think about, I'm going to start this new habit. Let's put it into, um, let's say it's going to be drinking a glass of water first thing in the morning, as soon as I get up. I'm going to anticipate that I'm going to actually f- um, start this new habit. So I'm building a new habit. It's going to be really good in my life. And then I'm going to imagine, visualize the steps of waking up, going straight to the kitchen, grabbing a um, glass, filling it with water, and having a drink. And then the offset of the habit, I'm going to visualize myself taking care of myself and building my health and giving myself more energy and vitality. So I'm going to get a dopamine hit from starting the habit, knowing that I'm improving my life. And then I'm going to get the dopamine hit of actually completing the reward. Sorry, completing the habit. So the reward is the completion of the habit and the feeling of building something good. It's not finishing drinking your... your um, your cup of water or doing a new habit and then going to eat a block of chocolate as a reward. Okay, so we want to avoid that reward kind of loop and just build the dopamine as our reward every time. I hope I made that clear. Let's move on. I want to move through this theory stuff so you get it and then we can move on. James Clear. So we he wrote a book called I'm sorry, <laughs> Atomic Habits. Now, let's start with this overarching um, statement from James Clear. All behavior is driven by the desire to solve a problem. Now, this is going to help us later in the episode understand habit formation. About eight years ago, James wrote a blog post that encouraged people to focus on systems rather than goals. And it went completely viral. It was on TV shows all around the world. Because basically, he brought to our attention that it's not the goal that that makes us successful. It's the system that we put in place. So stop focusing on the goal the outcome and start focusing on the system and start to reward ourselves for that. Um, there's, a, there's a very famous quote from um, Archilochus, the Greek soldier, um, 650 BC. He said, we don't rise to the level of our expectation. We fall to the level of our training. You may have heard this um, in the corporate world um, or in motivation memes or something. But James Clear kind of says the same thing. He says, you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. So James says the same thing as Huberman is identity-based habits are far more powerful than goal or outcome-based habits when you are starting a new goal. But if you're building on an existing habit, uh, then you can, then outcome-based habits can be as equally as um, successful as identity-based. For example, if you want to start a new running habit, use identity-based uh, habits. I am a runner. I'm a morning person. I am an energetic um, parent who runs in the morning and has more energy during the day. Those kind of I am statements. If you've, if you've already got a good running habit in and you want to increase your mileage or you want to increase your frequency of running, that's when you would use a goal or an outcome-based habit. That's a good distinction there. 
So James has some really good work he does in here. Read the book. It's, it's really excellent. Um, but one of the things he says is every action we take is a vote for the type of person we want to become. So every time we eat that you know, good food instead of the bad food, it's that we're becoming a healthy person. Every time we're kind to someone instead of grumpy, you know, we're becoming more of a leader and more of a kind person. So it's like every action that we take, every little tiny action um, is a vote for that type of person that we want to become. So one of those overarching questions that he has throughout the book is, Asking the question, so if you want to be more healthy, you ask the question, what would a healthy person do here? If I want to become a triathlete, ask the question, what would a triathlete do here? If I want to build a business, what would an entrepreneur do here? And then list out the steps and build a habit or a system around the answers to that question. Sounds simple, yeah, but how many of us actually sit down and do it? James has got a really cool thing called the two-minute rule. Um... And he says that the biggest sabotage to your habits, the biggest thing we do to sabotage our own habits, is starting too big. And he's like, take whatever habit you are wanting to do and break it down to the smallest possible piece that will take less than two minutes to do. So if you want to do 100 push-ups a day, if that's the new habit you want to do, start by doing one push-up a day. If you want to run three times a week, start by putting your running shoes next to the front door. And that's how you start to push the bulldozer through the that bushland, and just start to form the habit. Um, he has a warning in there that sometimes we must mistake motion for action. So motion could be like planning. It's like reading the book about habits. It's researching. It's listening to the podcast about, you know, the topic you're interested in. It's talking to a coach. It's buying the new pair of running shoes. That's motion. But action is actually doing the work. It's going for the run. It's writing in the journal. It's lifting the weights. You know, it's telling the person that you love them and you're grateful for them. So he says sometimes you get caught up in motion, like you're building business, so you're looking at your web page and you're doing your business cards and you're thinking about your branding and your logo, but you're not actually doing the work, which is getting out there and serving people. And so that's, that's a really good distinction that he has as well. All right, stay with me, team. We're going well here through the theory. There's a couple more pieces that's important before we get on to how to build a habit. Ben Harvey from Authentic Education. And if you haven't learned from these guys, they're absolutely outstanding. Check them out. But Ben says in habit formation, have a look for the secondary gain in the habit that you currently have. And the, the secondary gain is kind of the payoff you're doing it. And so, so think about secondary gain as a feeling or an emotional state that you get from the habit. So if, you, um, if you're smoking, so a big one with smoking is belonging. The, the, the feeling or the secondary gain is belonging. So imagine the, you're at the office and it's time for a smoke break and all the smokers go downstairs, go to the designated smoking area and they get to belong to this group, right? So maybe they don't get anything out of actually drawing the cigarette, but they get the feeling of belonging and connection to to a group that that kind of meets regularly on a regular basis and they get to experience that. So you're looking for the the secondary gain out of the actual habit or the action. And when you can find that feeling that you get and map it across to the new habit and then kind of, then you have to do more work, you know, listing all the reasons why the new habit gives you belonging. So let's take um, off the top of my head, another way you could belong would be to join a running group, right? Or, or join an, um, yeah, just say with a running group. So then instead of smoking where you, 
you get the connection. In the running group, you want to build all the reasons why starting a running habit will actually give you more belonging and more connection, right? And then you list all the reasons. So if I become a runner, identity-based habit, I will experience more belonging through meeting new people, having something in common, going uh, training together for a run, uh, for a race we're doing, um, you know, getting to share the amazing sunrise in the morning as I run around the beach. Um, we might have a, a, a team, um, you know, like a drinks night or a catch up regularly, or we might do a trivia night or, or you know, all these type ways that we can belong, we'll be on the same Facebook group, we might have a group uniform and all these things are really solidifying um, that the running habit actually gives you social connection, belonging, feeling like I'm part of something. I hope that's making sense. Really good. Um, and the last thing I wanted to, well, there's a couple more things to throw into the theory before we go into the building habits. Why do people change? Now, I kind of thought about this for a few days before I wrote down the answer. And, but what I came up with is one way to look at it is staying the same becomes more painful than changing. So the thought of doing what you're currently doing becomes worse in the future than actually changing now. So the brain doesn't really want to change. It wants everything to just stay the same and you never to grow or anything, just kind of stay alive, right? But if you look at why people change, it's because, well, this is a theory, is that staying the same becomes worse than the change. So my dad used to um, be a pack-a-day smoker, and so which is a yeah, pretty ingrained habit. When my sister was three, I've told that my sister said to dad, oh, dad, you stink, right? And that was enough for my dad to give up smoking cold turkey, right? Because the thought of continuing the behavior was worse um, because he'd lose the love <laughs> of his daughter, right? So uh, that, that's kind of an example of, you know, if, if you take your current behaviors and fast forward them into the future, um, you know, do you want to keep them? And, and what, what, what's the compounding effect of doing so? So, and if you see that future being not the way you want it to be, then it'll, it'll, it'll definitely help you to change currently. All right, so let's move on. Um, BJ Fogg, in that book, The Tiny Habits, really another good book. I just wanted to, two of his main reasons that people fail in their habits are, and this is a big one, judging ourselves too harshly when we slip up or when we forget the habit. I've seen, I've heard a lot of people do this. They start something new and they might do it for two weeks and then they forget a day or two and they completely throw the baby out of the bathwater and say, oh, that didn't work. You know, I slipped off the, jumped off the wagon or whatever it was. And he's like, just forget about it and get on with it. It doesn't, make, it doesn't mean it. Remember in that study that Huberman quoted, if they did it 85% of the time, it was said to be successful. The second one for BJ Fogg said, mistaking our aspirations for behaviors. So what he means by that is um, a behavior would be switching off the phone before you go to bed so you get a good night's sleep. That's a behavior, a specific concrete behavior. But the aspiration is getting a good night's sleep. Now, you can't really control getting a good night's sleep without building a system to get it. Switching off the phone, you know, maybe meditating before you go to bed, having a dark room, cool environment, all that kind of thing. These are the system that you build for the aspiration of a good night's sleep. So he's saying, um, 
focus on the behavior instead of the aspiration, which again, we go back to James Clear's work and, and Huberman's work, focusing on the systems or the identity rather than the outcome. All right, let's get on to building the habits. The first thing I'm going to start by saying, and this is where you know the athletes that I work with and, and, the, and the program that we do, you've got to know what makes yourself tick first because I can go on to all these other great systems that other people use, but I'm here to tell you, you already know how to do habits. You've got so many in your life and the best way for you to work it out is to go back and find a habit that you currently have and teach yourself how you build that habit and then just replicate that system because you know yourself better than anyone and if you can find that out, find out what makes you tick, find out what works with you and just keep doing that, that is the best way to form a habit. That's my little um, uh, little intro here. So if you, if, you ne- if you didn't floss your teeth for 30 years, you just brushed them and, and at age 30 you picked up the flossing habit, well, how did you do that? And I'm guessing you, you probably tacked it on to an existing habit, which we're going to talk about called habit stacking. But you might have found it another way. You may have, you may have seen someone in the office who had you know, bits of meat from last night stuck between their teeth and, and you went, oh my gosh, I never ever want to have that. And their breath stinks and it looks disgusting. And that's when you, what we talked about before, people change when their current reality becomes worse than changing. So you might have thought, oh my gosh, have I got that stuff in my, t- in my teeth? Do I look like that? I'm going to make sure I floss every single morning or every single night so that I don't have you know that that going off me just an example um all right we're going to move on so building habits so let's go to James Clear system so four steps cue craving response reward let's go through them the cue is like the trigger or when the habit starts let's have a look at what a cue could be it could be time so every wednesday morning i will or every day at eight o'clock, I will. It could be a location. So each time I walk into the bathroom, I will. Each time I go into the kitchen, I will. Every time I get into my car, I will. Every time I walk into the office or the coffee shop, I will. It could The cue could be the preceding event. And this is also known as habit stacking. So when I sit down for dinner, I will say something I'm grateful for. When I brush my teeth, I will look in the mirror, tell myself I love myself. Um... When I put the toothbrush back into the cup after I finish my teeth, I'll pick up the floss, right? So that could be the cue. Uh, And it could be an emotional state. This is a bit of a trickier one, but he still mentions it. So every time I feel tense, I'll drop my shoulders, for example. So that's cue. Craving is the anticipation of the reward. So back to Huberman's work, this creates that dopamine hit in itself. So the craving is you wanting the reward or the completion of the habit. So that's cue, craving. Response is how you get the reward. The actual action you'll take, it's putting on your running shoes, it's writing the email, it's paying the bill, right? That's the actual doing of the habit. And the reward is that feeling that you desired, dopamine hit. It's the completion of the habit. It's building another block in the wall of your, you know, your greatness or your success. But it needs all these four elements, according to the James Clear. Without the cue, the habit won't start, right? If you don't have the starting, it's not going to run through. If you reduce the craving, you won't have the motivation. Uh, If you make the action too difficult, that was one of the sabotaging things, you won't be able to do it or if it's too big. And if the reward doesn't satisfy you, you'll have no reason to do it in the future. So think about having each of those four elements. 
habit stacking, this is one of the ways that I have found in my life to work the best. Habit stacking is simply when you build your new habit on top of an existing one. Now, an example, think about the road through the bush. Think about if you've got all these highways in your mind, they're just like you know, the M5 in Sydney, the M4 or a huge motorway somewhere in the world and you're building an off-ramp just off to the side. So it's already, you're already driving down this road every day, so easy, so easy, so easy. And all you're going to do is just put a little off-ramp on it so you can build this new habit. For example, um, so flossing your teeth, let's go back to that. If you, if you always brush your teeth twice a day, then you put the floss next to the cup and then once you've brushed you floss or other way around if you always get up in the morning at the same time walk in the kitchen and make yourself a coffee coffee and that habit's already ingrained then you can build your 10 push-ups while your coffee's being brewed or, or made if um you know i get i guess you go no i mean but basically the formula formula the habit stacking is after i do the current habit then i'll do the new habit right so that is another one from James Clear. Um, Huberman's got a 21-day protocol. I was going to go through this podcast. It is going a little bit long, so I'm just going to quickly go through this. Huberman, through all of his research, he does, and there is a lot. He's come up with his own protocol where I'm just going to go through this so you understand where he's coming from because it's definitely got merit. He does. He suggests you do six new habits per day for 21 days. So you choose six. So it could be uh, to write down three things I'm grateful for, to start flossing my teeth, to start having a glass of water in the morning, to go for a 10-minute walk every evening after dinner, for example. You write them all down, and then the expectation is you'll only do four to five of these habits per day. All right. So again, see, see how kind of it's permission to fail or permission to not be it perfect is already in there because ultimately what this system's doing is you're building the habit of performing habits if that makes sense if you miss a day there's no punishment don't try to make it up the following day or anything just get back on the horse and do it again he also says you break the 21 days or chunk them down into two days so you say if i can do it for two days then i can do it for 21 so you just do it two days by two days per two days after 21 days of doing these new habits you just stop and you check in with which habits you actually engage on autopilot and you see which ones you stopped and which ones you continued. All right Now, this is a really good system if you're thinking about starting um, to use that. Um, and, and obviously, he talks about the visualization of knowing how the, each of those habits goes through, um, which we talked about earlier in the podcast. So that's Huberman's protocol. Okay, that's building habits. So just to quickly re- refresh, knowing yourself, number one, ha- how do you currently do a habit? What's the system you use? And see if you can just take that and replicate it in yourself. Um, James Clear system, the cue, craving, response, reward. Having those four parts and writing it out and and knowing what you're doing and then um, performing it to get that reward. Habit stacking. So after I do this, I will then do that. Um he just a side note on that. He also has his temptation bundling, which is worth note, noting in here. So, this is when you want to do something that you don't like doing. Um, you kind of put that in there as well. So, you put that in the middle. So, for example, if you if you're in sales and you want to make 
three sales calls, but you're like putting them off. Oh, I don't really want to call. I don't really call. You stack it onto a habit with a temptation at the end. So you say, okay, after I finish lunch, which is the current habit, I will make three phone calls, which is the habit I really need to do. And then I'll get to check social media for five minutes. That's my reward. So you can see how you've got an existing habit. So having lunch, you're adding on the one you don't really want to do. Like I've got to ring that person or I've got to send that email or I've got to, you know, do that thing. And then after that, I'll get the reward, which is having a cup of coffee or having, um, you know, five minutes on Facebook, for example. Then we went to Huberman's protocol, which is a 21-day protocol. Again, six new ones, 21 days um, with, with permission to fail in built. All right, I hope you're going all right. We're, this is going a little bit longer than I expected. Um, but, you know, it's important. And I think that it's worth doing this work now all in one go. So let's move on to making the habit stick. Interestingly, Huberman states outright that unfortunately, notifications on your phone have been proven not to work in the long term for helping you build a habit. This has actually been my experience. I used to use notifications and they are definitely good. And he says this, they're good in the initial phases of building a habit, but you cannot rely on them to um, work in the long term because you'll end up just ignoring them like you do every other notification because they just kind of saturate you. But in the initial stages, they can be good. Tim Ferriss, let's go to the work of Tim Ferriss. Um, this is this is really good. So again, how to make the habit stick. So Ferris has got this great idea that when you when you decide what you want to do for your new habit, you make a promise. There used to be a, an app he used to recommend you do this on, but it's just easier to make a promise to form the new habit. And if you miss a day or two, again, this is just another example. It's different to humans. Commit to making a large donation to a charity that you hate, right? So he's, imagine you want you say you want to form a new habit to... Um, and they go for a walk around the block every morning for 10 minutes. And if you don't, and you make a promise that if you don't do it every day for a month, you'll, and you, let's just say you don't like guns, you'll give a $2,000 donation to the Australian Shooters Party and support their, you know, idea of having more guns or a gun in every home or whatever their vision is, right? I'm not saying that. <laughs> it's just an example. Um, so so that that negative thing hanging over your head will be enough to get you out the door on that rainy, cold day when you didn't want to go. Um, Tim also says about making a social declaration, so telling as many people as you can about your new habit. That's kind of like a accountability loop, a circle. Uh, again, tell someone, get a coach, join a running group. And here's three pieces of advice when starting habits. Number one, don't expect yourself to follow it at all times. Again, that reflects Huberman and it reflects James Clear, it reflects Charles Duhigg, and it's all it's all good to, to get it from multiple sources. Um, he says adherence to habits ebbs and flows, so don't throw them out. And he just, he says just do one new habit at a time. You can see how some of the literature is changing, and that's why it's important to know yourself and, and what your time frames are and what your life's like and what works for you. In making a habit stick, I want to give you an overarching kind of philosophy that when you value and shift your mindset to valuing consistency over intensity, that's when you kind of get it with habit formation. Think about if you're a triathlete or a runner, 
the success comes from consistency in training, not from the intensity. It's not the intense session that you did. Uh, it's the years of training that you've done behind it, right? So the consistency and start to place that as a higher priority or a higher value in your mind than intensity. And the way I want to illustrate this is looking at Jerry Seinfeld. Long time ago, I was a huge Seinfeld fan, and I, I, I read an interview he did um, in a magazine, and the interviewer was actually a young startup comic, and he said to um, Jerry, he said, have you got any tips for a young comic? And Seinfeld outlined the way that he became successful in his stand-up career and in his TV. And he said, the way to be a better comic was to create better jokes and the way to create better jokes was to write every day. So what Seinfeld did was got a, he got a big wall calendar and a big red magic marker pen and he hung it right in the middle of his um, apartment. And the next step he said, every day that I do my task of writing, I get to put a big red, red X over that day. He said, after a few days, you'll have a chain and just keep at it and the chain will grow longer every day. You'll like seeing the chain, especially when you get a few weeks under your belt. Your only job is to not break the chain. So you notice in that, Seinfeld didn't mention anything about results, didn't mention anything about you know, outcomes or goals. He just mentioned focusing on the process and keeping the, change, the chain going. It didn't matter if he was motivated, it didn't matter if he felt like it, it didn't matter if he was writing great jokes or, or, or not. All that mattered was that he was consistently showing up every day and, and working on it. And all he valued, all that mattered was not breaking the chain. There's an app out there called Streak and you can use that just you know to, to keep your red letters, but red X's. So maybe think about the Seinfeld strategy if you like the sound of that. Okay, so let's get into the how and how we're going to do it. I'm just going to run through a few examples of habits and how to use the tools that we've kind of explored today and to use them. So if you wanted to set a habit on you know, eating food that gives you energy instead of food that drains us of energy, one of the things we haven't talked about but is the importance of environment. So a way you can use the environment is, first of all, don't buy the food in the first place and have it in your cupboard, right? So there's no actual option to go there. Um, but the second thing you can do is you can look at um, the long-term effects of it. So using that kind of pain, so if I keep eating this food, what's the long-term effects of doing it? That's an example. And look at, the, look at what you get out of eating that particular type of food that's your vice, if it's you know, choc chip cookies. And when you eat it, what's that secondary gain that Ben Harvey from Authentic Education talked about? What's the feeling that I get from having it? And how can I map that across to something else? Um, if another example, if you're drinking a glass, want to drink a glass of water first thing in the morning, you can use that cue craving response reward from James Clear. So the cue is, I walk into the kitchen. The craving is, you know, I want to, I want to feel good about myself and feel like I'm getting more healthy. The the response is drinking a glass of water, and then the reward um, is either the feeling of it, or you can add on the other thing, which is now I'll go and you know check my phone, or now I'll go and. Um, do the thing that I wanted to do after I've done it. So cue, response, cue, craving, response, reward. Um, let's say you want to be like a more, so let's say being a better father. So one of the things I, I worked on a few years ago, I used exactly this strategy, um, was the cue was when I drove into the driveway, I turned the car off. That was the cue, right? So you pull up from work, 
you turn the car off. The craving is, so you get in touch with it, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a good, you know, present dad here. So the response is, when I walk in, I'm going to play with the kids for 10 minutes straight away. As soon as I get home from work, they're going to give them all my energy, all my energy and attention, right? And the reward is that dopamine hit of, you know, having fun with the kids, feeling like I'm becoming a better dad and a bit of better person, right? So there's another example. If you want to be a more present partner or, or a more present friend, um, you know, you can do the same thing with the car coming home or you can put a sign on your wall where you see it, you know, regularly as a cue. So the cue could be, um, you know, think about a friend or send a text message to the friend or, or even a more general cue, which could be something like, I'm a kind friend or I'm a thoughtful friend or something. And that's the cue. The craving is wanting to have a deeper connection with other people um, or a deeper relationship. And the response, you know, is focusing on them or asking them about their day or, quest, you know, asking them questions and, and putting all of the energy and focus on them. And the reward is that, you know, again, dopamine hit of that deeper connection or being a better friend or, or partner. Um. Let's use another example. So let's say you wanted to get up. Let's just say you wanted to get up earlier and do a 10-minute walk, right? Let's do the identity habit and ask those questions like, what does an early riser do? What would a fit person do? What would a person with vitality do? And then you can embody that. Well, I am an early riser. I am a, um, a fit, healthy person. I am a, you know, a morning person. I'm an early bird. And take on those I am's. You can also build that system. What would they do? Well, if they're an early riser, they'd be in bed by 10 or they might have lights off by 10 or whatever's for you. They might be reading a book in bed by 10. Then they'd set the alarm and they'd get straight out of bed. They wouldn't hit snooze. They'd get straight out of bed and then they'd have their shoes next to the front door. they have a glass of water and they'd go straight out the door and they'd be back in 10 minutes. And so you build your system and um, the reward is coming home, coming back through the front door saying, oh, how good is that, you know? I've done it again. I feel proud of myself and I feel like I'm building something, you know, that's beneficial to my family and my life. Interestingly enough, just came to me, when, whenever I, I don't, I don't have any more because my habit's pretty well built, whenever I used to struggle to get out the door running, I used to have that question in my mind, will I feel better when I come back from this run than I do now? And I guess in some strange way, that's kind of what, uh, I kind of was building these, uh, these habits just by asking that question and and saying you know what I don't think I could ever say no to that to that question it's always going to be a solid yes I will feel so much better after doing this run right so let's go to the habit of this is the last bit we'll do starting a running habit let's just say it's going to be I want to run for three times a week for twenty minutes and I just want to that's what I want to do it's my goal it's my habit we're going to throw everything we've learned at it. So you might start by a social declaration. You might tell, you know, five of your closest friends or or um, family, or you might put it on the social media and say, here's what I'm committing to for the next, you know, X, six weeks or two months or, or year or something. You might even make a dedication to somebody else, say, because, you know, um, of heart disease in Australia or of this really important charity, I'm dedicating the next... Um, two months to running three times a week for 20 minutes. You might even say, who's with me? There you can build your little social group as well. You might put up your Seinfeld thing on the wall and have a red X for every time you do that. 
uh, and build start to build your chain. So then we can build humans visualization in what's the sequence of events. Well, I'm going to run three times a week on a uh, say a Tuesday, Thursday, and a Sunday. I am going to run first thing in the morning, and I'm going to so and I'm going to put my stuff before right next to the door the night before. So all my running gear is there: my bottle of water, my running shoes, socks, my shorts, my shirt, and my hat. And and then I'm going to be in bed by 10 p.m. the night before. And you build your whole system that leads up to it, and then you visualize yourself doing it, and then um, you start to schedule it. Using Huberman's reward prediction again, you're going to imagine. Sorry, re, sorry, that that term is not reward prediction. It's um, reward prediction error. You're going to imagine how hard it could be to get out the door one time. You're going to see that 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 overcoming that. Um, limit friction by saying, you know, I really don't want to. And then you're going to imagine yourself doing it anyway and then coming back and getting that dopamine hit about how good it felt to actually complete it and have more energy. If we use James Clear's um, two-minute thing, start small. If you're going to start your running habit, put it off for a week and for the next week, just um, put your stu- get your stuff ready, put your stuff near the front door and set your alarm clock. Get up, don't even go for the run. Your habit's done. Go back to sleep. The next day, you do it again, again, again. And maybe if you want to stretch this right out, just for the example's sake, the next week you might get up, have your glass of water, put on your running gear, and not go for a run. That's your habit formation for the day. You do that for a week. The next week, you do it all again. You get up, you have a glass of water, you put on your shoes, you get out the door, and you walk around the block, and you come home, and that, that's you done. And this is like that bulldozer p- paving the way down, down, down. Next week, you get up and you just run one lap of the block and you go back. And then finally, this habit is just being hardwired in your mind until you're eventually um, out the door and doing it before you even know it. And that's when it becomes automatic. And again, you might not even need to do that. In the first, you know, you might just start your habit automatically uh, the first time you do it. And that's okay. But just give yourself permission to start small and to, to, um, and to fail and get back up and go again. Building the identity statement. So I am a runner. I am a regular runner. I am a healthy person. I am a morning person. All of these identities that can help you embody the type of person that gets up three times a week and runs for 20 minutes. And the question could be, what's the type of person that does this? And you can build your identity statement from that. Um, Building the pain. When we talked about what makes the change, staying the same is more painful than changing. So if you say, well, what happens if I don't start this running habit? What happens next week? Probably nothing. Well, what happens in three months? Oh, probably nothing. In six months? Well, I probably regret not doing it because I could have been into it. In 12 months? Well, you know what? I could be not as healthy as, I, as I'd like to be. What happens in five years if you don't start this running habit now? And that's where you really start to get traction with the type of person you could have been or the fittest or the healthiest person you could have been. So start to build the pain around not doing it. Again, if you miss a day, don't worry about it. Get back on the horse and keep on going. What does Ted Lasso say? Be a goldfish. A goldfish has got the shortest memory of any animal in the world, 10 seconds. So just forget about it and get on with it. You can also write your check or promise to donate you know, $2,000 to a charity that you don't agree with. Okay, that's back to that Tim Ferriss strategy. Um, 
And remember to have a queue around your house so you can put that bit of paper on the wall and write something on that, your identity statement. I am a runner. I am a fit person. I am a committed, um, you know, three times a week person or something else like I run regularly or just a queue. There might even just be a picture of a runner on the wall that can be your cue to get out there and do it, right? So, so have, have the reminders around to help you uh, for your success. Now, the habit stacking, you could also habit stack. So an example for where I've used uh, habit stacking in my life, um, so I run every day uh, and I wanted to incorporate a strength training program as well. And I'll just be honest with you, uh, I don't think I'll be alone saying this, I sucked at it. So I didn't really do it very, I did it hit and miss, very sporadic. It wasn't until, um, you would have might have heard me interview Joe Ward on the last podcast, which is excellent. If you haven't listened to it, it's definitely worth a listen. So Joey does every weekday morning at 8 a.m. He has an online 12-minute uh, home-based um, bodyweight workout every day. He's there live, and he'll be there at 8 o'clock every day for you to do a um, workout with him. Now, it's only 12 minutes long. So I do this with Joey after every run, which is already a habit. I'm always going to run. I do my run. I come home. I go straight into to the recording of Joe's body weight workout. So that's how I've stacked that habit onto an existing habit. And now I rarely miss a day, although I have missed um, the last week because of COVID and me taking it easy. But I hope that's an example of how I had an existing habit. It was solid. It was a highway. I built an off-ramp of doing this home body weight workout as soon as I got back. So for the running workout, if you get up every morning, for example, and have a cup of coffee, then that can be your cue to get out the door uh, for your 20-minute run. All right, so we've come to the end of the podcast. It was long and detailed, and thanks for sticking with me. I hope you got something out of it. My biggest hope is that you learn something, anything that you can use to help you build a new habit in your life no matter what that is. Um, I would love to hear how you went. As always, um, please message me or shoot me an email to athlete.mindset.training at gmail.com. That's athlete.mindset.training at gmail.com. Send through any requests you might have um, for a future podcast, and I hope to see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to the Mindset for Runners podcast. I hope you got something useful and practical out of this episode. If you haven't yet done it, go back to episode one. I highly recommend you listen to Mental Strategies for Running. There's so much good information in there that you could take away and apply to your running or any training straight away. And if there's anyone you know who could benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. See you next time.